opportunity to get together today and to study your word, Lord. And we pray this morning, Father, that your words through this book, Habakkuk, Father, might permeate into our lives, Lord. I pray that you might simply use me as a conduit to get your word out to the people, Lord, to get what you want to say to the people, Father. And I pray that we might leave here, Father, changed and uh, take the things that we've learned today and bring them out to the world and uh, bring them to the people who don't yet know you, Father, and to better ourselves in you, Father, to have more faith in you and to be admonished, to be encouraged, Father, in you. We thank you so much, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So before we get started, I'll let you know that uh, I am going to be going into chapters 2 and 3 of Habakkuk, but uh, verses 1 to 11 here are going to be my main uh, kind of study for today. But uh, since we're kind of going into this book, and I imagine most of us don't know what exactly the context of this book is, I'll let you know that before we really, really dive in, right? So this book has four main characters, really. There's God, Habakkuk, Judah, and Babylon. I'm going to give you the background on all four of them. Except for God, because I'm assuming we all know who he is. But I'll give you background on the rest of the three. All right, and I'll start with Judah. So Israel, the whole nation of Israel, uh, led out of Egypt, settled in the land of Canaan, they can actually be divided up into 12 subgroups, if you will. Sort of like how Canada can be divided into provinces. And Judah is just one of those groups. Right? And there came a point in Israel's history when Judah separated itself from the rest of Israel. And there became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Judah was one of those entire kingdoms. Right? And um, so they had their own line of kings from that point out. They were essentially their own country. Right? And so they had their own line of kings. And if you move on forward in time to the very last five kings that they had, the fifth last king was a guy named Josiah. He was a good king, the very last of the good kings. And he reigned for about 33 years or so, give or take. And then the four kings who came after him, the last four kings, they were all terrible kings, evil kings, who in total reigned about 22 to 23 years. Habakkuk was written sometime within those last five kings. We don't know exactly when, but that's the best time frame we got, sometime within those about 55 years of the last five kings. But that that in itself isn't as important as what these Judean people are like as a people group. Um, so what are they like? It's, it's not good, unfortunately. Um, if you take a look at Habakkuk's description in the second half of verse 3, it says, destruction and violence are before me. So Habakkuk, he sees this destruction and this violence. It's right in his face. It's unavoidable, really. Um, it's not hidden off in you know, the dark corners of society or somewhere. It's everywhere you look. It's common. Habakkuk sees people getting the crap beat out of them all the time. Blood, uh, likely murder. People just hate each other and they fight all the time. And just to add to that, take a look at verse 4. It says, so the law is paralyzed and justice goes forth perverted. You mention, uh, you mention God's law to these people, and they'll laugh in your face. Nobody cared about God's law. Justice never goes forth. Never. All right, Habakkuk doesn't say he sometimes sees it, you know, once in a blue moon or something like that. He never sees it. If there, if there actually was any kind of a law enforcement, it would have been completely corrupt. There's no courts. If, uh, if you get screwed over, too bad. No one cares. 
Right? No one does anything about it. Justice, as Havoc says, is perverted. So honestly, like if this were nowadays, this would be a country that we would want to send foreign aid to. Right? It's a disaster zone, really. Judah has ditched God. Right? So that's Judah, in a nutshell. Babylon. Babylon was an up-and-coming superpower. They would be like the China or states of today. And if you can believe it, they were actually worse off than Judah was. They were super wicked. If you uh, take a look at verse 10, it says, At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. So check out the S at the end of kings and rulers in verse 10. We're talking multiple nations here, right? These guys overthrow one nation, and then just move on to the next one, and then on to the next one, and so on and so forth. These guys had a hunger for conquest that was never really satisfied. Right? They never got tired of fighting wars and all the bloodshed and the pain that accompanied it. These guys just don't care about anyone else. All they cared about was themselves. So if you, if you thought Judah was in bad shape, these guys are way worse. Right? But I will get back to them in a moment here. But what you really need to know is just that these guys are even worse than Judah was. Right? And now we move on to Habakkuk himself. Unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of information about Habakkuk. We don't know his family, we don't know his age, what he did for work. Uh, his name is actually only mentioned twice in the entire Bible, both in his book. So it's kind of hard to know much about him. But uh, as far as his character goes, we can tell a little bit about that from this book. We can tell from verse 2 that he was a man with a heart for God. And from verse 4 that he values justice and he does uphold the law. And just on a little side note here, this is a point I heard from someone else, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, even though Habakkuk is sort of obscure, we don't know a ton about him, <clears throat> we still have this book here today. Right? He, he wasn't someone super important. He wasn't a king like uh, David or a Nebuchadnezzar or something like that. Uh, he wasn't a pillar of our faith. He wasn't a Paul or a Peter or something like that. He was just this little nobody. But yeah, we still have this book today. And it isn't because he was great. It's because God wanted this book for us today. But that's just a little side. I thought it was kind of interesting. So now that we know a little bit of context of what's going on here when this book was written, we can actually dive in. All right. So read verse 2 with me. It says, How long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? So Habakkuk starts talking to God here, and there's no praise to God before he dives in. There's no, oh Lord of heaven and earth, uh, the Holy One of Israel, or anything kind of like that. Habakkuk just kind of dives right in and goes straight to God and says, you know, I got a bone to pick with you, God. And it's one complaint, but he kind of divides it up into four questions here. And these are just the first two. Right, Habakkuk lives in that Judean society I just mentioned to you, where there's no good neighborhoods. He sees how bad it is, and he wants God's intervention. He desperately wants an end to the absolute chaos surrounding him. And he knows that the only way it's going to stop is if God steps in and fixes it. He's the only one that Habakkuk feels he can rely on and put his faith in to do something about it. But, as far as Habakkuk can tell, God's gone silent. He's not doing anything to answer his prayers, nothing at all. 
Every day Habakkuk goes out and he's greeted with the same disappointment as he had the day before and the day before and the day before. And it says prayers because he has been praying a long time. It's not just one prayer he's made, can you fix society? It's multiple times he's prayed. It's been a while, right? And if anything should get God's attention, it's the violence he mentioned. If you know uh, Genesis chapter six, that's the passage where it talks about the flood. The flood happened because of violence. And so it would make sense that if anything would get, God, would get God's attention, it would be violence. And yet God's still not doing anything. So Habakkuk is fed up. Take a look at verse three. Habakkuk actually accuses God of making him look at injustice and idly looking at wrong. In the NIV, if you have that, if you have that, it uses even stronger language. It says that God tolerates wrong. In Habakkuk's eyes, God is just fine with watching this entire nation of Israel that God put so much effort into destroy itself. And you gotta have a strong case if you're gonna talk to God like that. If I were anywhere nearby Habakkuk and Habakkuk started talking to God like this, you know, I'd be peeing my pants, running for the hills. I think that God's gonna send a giant meteor to smush us all and we're all gonna die. But uh, Habakkuk, from his perspective, he has a good case. They really are a bad group of people. And so Habakkuk is really confused. And I don't know about you, but this sounds kind of familiar to me. I know I've been confused and frustrated just like this. Granted, I've never had an extreme situation like what Habakkuk's gone through, but I do remember a time when I was super angry at God and I actually punched a hole through the wall. In my mind, God had orchestrated some amazing things in my life and he let me enjoy them for a little while. But then, in an instant, he took them all away. Now that I think about it, I think about Jonah. But, uh, but yeah, that's what, uh, that's what it felt like for me. Um, God had betrayed my trust in him, I thought. I thought that uh, he was supposed to make my life perfect, make my life just you know, peachy, rosy, great. But uh, instead, he let me go through some really, really intense pain. And I had prayed, and I'd asked to him for help, but he let me down. And I think all Christians at some point in their lives will wonder, doesn't God care what I'm going through? Maybe, it does, maybe it's happened at work, right? Maybe the guy who's cheating and cutting corners at work is the one who will get a promotion or a raise. Or the guy who gossips about the boss will be the one who gets uh, some sort of a promotion as well. Or maybe it hits even closer to home. Uh, maybe there's been a massive family fight and people just aren't talking to each other now. Or maybe you know someone who was killed by a drunk driver and just got a slap on the wrist. You know, Habakkuk may have lived a thousand years ago, multiple thousands, a couple thousand years ago, but his questions about God's inaction are still the same questions that we ask today. These questions are asked by atheists who are trying to disprove God. But luckily for Habakkuk, God doesn't leave him in this confused state. Take a look at verse five. So God starts speaking and he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. So I see Habakkuk at this point, and maybe you do too, saying to himself, whoa, you know what, wow, that's amazing. God was listening, cool. Right? 
it's not hard to imagine a little spark of hope in Habakkuk right now. And then God says he's going to do something. He is going to do something. Something's in the works. This little spark grows, right? And he says it's going to be in your days. Well, this is fantastic, sweet, that you wouldn't believe if I told you. Habakkuk's like, yes, finally. God's going to do something. He's going to get rid of all this evil here. But then God goes ahead and he drops this bombshell on Habakkuk. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Your translations might say Chaldeans. That's fine. It's the same thing, really. But Habakkuk's jaw would just drop at this. It would be like God saying to us, Canadians, you guys are messed up. But don't worry. I'm going to send ISIS to fix you guys up. They're going to straighten everything up for you guys. All right? it, it doesn't make sense. It's a case where the cure is worse than the disease. So Habakkuk, he was confused. Then God gave him a little peace of mind in verse 5, but now he's more confused than ever. I mean, let's take a look at God's own description of the Babylonians here. Habakkuk probably knows what they're like, but if anyone would know them, would know them it's God. Right? Verse 6. They are bitter and ruthless. The Babylonians never show an ounce of mercy to those people that fight. They're impetuous and hasty. These guys act out of impulse. Whatever seems good in an instant, that's what they'll do. Get a Babylonian angry and there's no telling what's going to happen. They have no concept of self-control or restraint. They steal entire homes from people. They take by force everything a person has worked their entire lives for. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. Verse 8, they come ready to devour. They completely destroy their victims. Verse 9, and th this is a good one, I really, really like this one. They come for violence. You know, isn't that just what Habakkuk was praying about earlier to God? There is a bit of a difference, though. Judah was a very violent nation, but it never says that they sought out violence. They were looking for violence. But it was just, it was common to see. But uh, these guys here, these Babylonians, they come for violence. They want violence. They crave it. Again in verse 9, they take countless prisoners. Verse 11, they are guilty men who are so self-consumed that they idolize and worship themselves. And then to top it all off, skip over to verse 17. Habakkuk adds in that they mercilessly kill nations. Think about the Rwandan incident, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Just a merciless slaughter of an entire nation. But these guys, they don't confine themselves to one nation. Nations is plural there. They move on from one to another to another to another. So if you thought Judah was bad, you know, well, move on Judah. There's a new king of evil in town. These Babylonians, they just stole first place. And these, these are the guys who are supposed to end the problems in Judah. Seriously, if God had said to Habakkuk, you know what, I'm going to send a legion of angels and we're going to go and clean up Judah for you. Habakkuk probably would have said, okie dokie, thanks God, end of book. But this, we're confused. And if we're confused, you know Habakkuk was confused. Right, take a look at verse 13. Habakkuk says to God, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you I look at traitors and remain silent while the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk's essentially saying, God, I know you. I know you can't stand evil. 
Now, I'm saying it now, and I know I asked earlier, why do you Ivy look at wrong? But I know, because I know it's not in your character. This isn't who you are. At first, I thought that you were just on the sidelines watching this happen. But now I learned that you're actually endorsing this. You actually want these Babylonians here. You know, that's a whole new level of messed up crazy. All right? And that's all I got now. So I'll give you some lessons. And no. Habakkuk's world is crashing and burning all around him. He, he's tail spinning and he can't recover. His nation's a disaster zone. And he just found out that their new saviors are compulsive, thieving, genocidal cretins. And his God, that one person who he thought he could talk to and have hope in, just pulled a 180 and went from someone whose eyes are too pure than to see evil to a God who endorses the most vile kind of evil on earth. Like, what on earth is going on? Throw Habakkuk in the psych ward because he's about to have a mental breakdown. And we would, what are you doing about it? Well, Let's take a look at what God has to say for himself. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Behold, his soul, which is the Babylonians, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. We know of all the places to see that verse. It's a, it's a common verse. It's a very familiar verse to all of us. We've all heard it before. It's one of the most quoted verses in the whole New Testament. Uh, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. But Habakkuk is where that verse first, verse first originated. And our relationship hinges on that verse. And now we find Habakkuk being told to have faith, despite all this insanity. God's not actually defending himself at all here. Rather, he's telling Habakkuk to just have faith. That's all you've got to do, just have faith. But we don't often get, have God telling us directly to have faith, as he is with Habakkuk here. And we certainly don't often get God telling us the future either. But that's just what he does for Habakkuk. And I'm going to run through this super quick, just for the sake of time. We could be here for two hours. But if your Bibles have a heading around chapter 2, verse 6, it would probably say something like, Woe to the Babylonians. Right? Just give me a head nod if it says something like that. Yeah? Well, and if it doesn't, you can scribble that in, because that's actually really, really good, right? Because God's about to spend the next 14 verses just leveling these Babylonians, right? Verse 8, Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. These Babylonians, they're going to get ransacked. All the plunder that they've taken from people, well, they're going to get plundered themselves now. There's some of that justice that Habakkuk wants. Then verse 10. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. These Babylonians, they came for blood and violence. Well, it's going to come back on them now. Verse 12 to 13. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? All those cities Babylon built up for themselves, well, they're going to get burnt down to the ground. And all that hard work they put into building themselves, making themselves all puffed up, all glorified and bigger, it's going to be for naught. It's going to be for nothing. 
Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. God's going to show that these Babylonians aren't actually connected to God. They aren't in a right relationship with him. And rather than being glorified, they're actually going to have the exact opposite happen. Absolute shame is in store for them. And finally, verse 18. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Nothing's going to save these Babylonians. Their idols, be it their own strength or something metal that man has made, has no power to rescue them from their impending doom. All right, it's going to happen. There's no escape. So up until this point, we've been looking at everything from Habakkuk's perspective. I'm going to give you a little bit of God's perspective now. So turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah 51. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. says, flee from the midst of Babylon, let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in the punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, and therefore the nations went mad. And now flip to uh, Jeremiah 25, verse 17. We'll read from uh, 17 to 26, and then also 31. Jeremiah 25, verse 17. It says, So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me to drink it, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste a hissing and a curse, as at this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, and all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz, and the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastland across the sea, Dedan, Tima, Buzz, and all who cut the corners of their hair all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zim Zimri, all the kings of Elam, all the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. And after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. And then verse 31. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations, he is entering into judgment with all flesh. All and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. So this was always way, way bigger than just the nation of Judah. This was God's judgment on all nations for their wickedness. And we know from looking at the New Testament that Babylon's rule didn't last all that long. Because in the New Testament, Rome is the superpower. So let's look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk's response now, as we close. Chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. 
says, I hear and my body trembles and my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. God had said to him that the righteous shall live by his faith. So despite all the difficulties Habakkuk was living through, and what he knew his country was about to go through, he rejoiced and he finds joy in the Lord. Habakkuk had faith enough to make it through all this terrible stuff that was going to happen. He could have tried to run away and find a new life in some distant country where the Babylons may not reach, but he stayed, choosing to have faith that God was good and that he would not let all the evil go unpunished. And we are just as capable of living by faith. And if we do, we'll be known as righteous. We can be alongside those great men and women from Hebrews 11. All those tough circumstances that just don't make sense, that make our lives so hard. God doesn't say he's going to fix them. In fact, as in the case with Habakkuk, he might be orchestrating them. But we need to have faith in God. It's our choice whether to have faith in God and trust in him or trust in ourselves. So I have some lessons here. Um, and I'm not as cool as text to have a PowerPoint, so I'm just going to read them out loud. But uh, lesson number one, God is not limited by what he can use to accomplish his divine purposes. And you can reference Habakkuk 1.6 and Jeremiah 51.7. Habakkuk can use even an evil nation, if he wants to, to punish evil. I'll read that once more. God is not limited by what he can use to accomplish his divine purposes. When I think about God delivering punishment, I usually think of something supernatural, like the earth opening up and swallowing people, or the sea, or hail, or something like that, um, a meteor. But uh, God's not limited. He can use anything, really. And it's actually kind of clever what God's doing. He's using an evil to destroy evil. And then he's going to destroy it. He's going to take that first evil and destroy it. It's quite clever, really. Lesson number two. Our prayers may not be answered immediately or in a way we'd expect, but God is listening. Habakkuk, he, didn't, he wasn't sure if God was listening. It didn't sound to him like he was because nothing was changing. But turns out God was listening. And he always listens. He cares about us. He cares about each and every person here in this room. There's a verse out there somewhere that says he knows the hairs of our head. He knows each hair of our, on our head. I can't remember where it is. But God loves us. He loves each and every person here individually. He loves each and every child of his around the world. So he may not answer our prayers. But he is listening. Lesson number three. All in big bold letters. All evil acts will be brought to light and judged by God. Can you reference Habakkuk 2, verses 6 to 20? 
and Jeremiah 25, verse 31. There's not anyone in the world who can go ahead and do evil and escape God's judgment. God sees everything. God knows each and every creation of his. He knows what we do. These Babylonians, they aren't going to escape it. Any evil nation that has been mentioned in the Bible has not escaped some form of judgment. All evil acts will be brought to light and judged by God. And that was Habakkuk 2, 6 to 20 and Jeremiah 25, 31. And lesson number four, the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk 2, 4, Romans 1, 17, Galatians 3, 11, and Hebrews 10, 38. It's no big secret. We all know it. We have to have faith. So that's all I got. You guys want to open up to questions or comments, concerns? I'm ready.